The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 347. I'm here with Scott Bird. Scott, how's it going today? Doing good, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, I thought we could jump in and talk about uh, Youth Room Essentials. I know we're, we're keeping this Essentials uh, segment of the podcast going for a couple more weeks, and then we're going to modify that a little bit, and then we'll get into our uh, conversation with Reagan Rose and then Joe Novenson. But before we do that, um, just any thoughts about Youth Rooms? I know you've already shared your Youth Room Essential, um, but as you've kind of heard others share, any new thoughts on kind of Youth Rooms and uh, just that whole uh, discussion. Yeah. I, and I've thought all of them have been really good. You know, I thought, uh, was it Lynn that talked about the pictures needing to be updated? If you're going to do pictures, they've <laughs> got to be updated. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I was just talking to a youth pastor the other day who said he's terrible at thinking about his youth rooms. And, uh, he said the pictures that are on the wall are the ones that have been there for like four or five years. And a lot of the people aren't in the, you know, a lot of people in the youth ministry aren't in the pictures. Yeah. So, um, that was helpful. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, as I, I hear that, I was thinking, okay, you know, as you do youth ministry for a while, your, your energy kind of wanes in various areas. And I know by the time I was kind of getting towards the end of youth ministry, I was definitely the guy who would leave pictures on the wall and would not mm-hmm. stay on top of that. And so, you know, those who are listening, I hope it's not like <laughs> heaping guilt and shame as they're like driving down the road, listening to this podcast, thinking, yeah, our youth room's a dump and I don't put any yeah. time into it. But that's but why hope- your students don't love Jesus. It's because <laughs> exactly. of the pictures. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even saying that, you know, and just, it's like, of course, we know this is not the most important aspect of, of ministry. There are so many more important things. As we said, there needs to be a Bible in every youth room uh, that needs to be taught from, preached, opened. The, the students need to be discipled and taught. Um, at the same time, it, the youth room is an important aspect of, of youth ministry. And, and, you know, too, as we think about the church, I know, you know, I inherited a youth ministry uh, in 2008 and we had a brand new space in 2008. And, um, I know there were concerns from all those on the building committee who put a ton of hours into what that building was going to look like. And the space that they were giving us, you know, was not cheap. Um, they wanted to know that we were going to steward it well. And so, um, that was just a thought too, that, that came to mind is, you know, I wrote a letter to that building committee this is just coming to mind as we're sharing this, um, telling them, look, we're going to steward this well. We're not going to let students destroy this. Um, but that, that went a long way with that committee for them to, to realize that. Um, <laughs> I realize it sounds like a humble brag. I'm, I'm not I'm just saying that's an idea. If anyone's out there um, building a, a space to, to know that, OK, this is something that's a gift from the Lord. We need to steward it well um, and to, to be thinking like that. Um, Scott, I can tell you're wanting to, to jump in or well. make fun of me. No, I'm thinking uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell our committee that because uh, our walls are pretty dinged up right now. We've been in our building a year, so there's already paint missing and, and things like that. But um, our our building committee actually said they want they want us to wear out the church. They're like, let's mm-hmm. use it. You know, if there are kids running around and, you know, ding up the walls, that's fine. But like, let's wear this building out. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. so obviously I don't want to destroy our youth room or anything, but um, 
yeah yeah that was yeah. But absolutely, there's going to be wear and tear. If you get a bunch of teenagers in one place, there's going to be paint off the walls and and stuff like that. Um, Scott, have you had any issues where, you know, uh, parents suggest, "Hey, y'all should do this to the room" or yeah. uh, anything along those lines? And how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, we had a um, uh, when we were building the building, a committee, I guess, or a sub team or whatever, um, kind of in charge of the design of the church, and they consulted us a lot about what the youth room should look like, but, uh, there's, and they, they've done a great job. If anybody's been to Christ present Oxford is, is beautiful, but, um, for the youth room, they were trying to think about what youth would like. And so they, uh, suggested this kind of big, colorful, crazy mural on the back wall. And, um, and we kind of, I don't know, I think my students would maybe cringe when they see that it kind of looks like something adults would think you think is cool, you know? Um, so like maybe in the, early 2000s 90s that would have been really cool but um uh anyway so we kind of just wanted our youth room to feel comfortable place where they can lounge around and not just kind of the crazy vibrant colors um so and it, it all depends i guess on what you want the the vibe of your youth group to be too sure. and so that's what we wanted ours to be yeah and, th- and that's hard but that's something that that will come up in some way shape or form you know for for me i can remember many times parents wanting to donate furniture and there are times where you didn't want that furniture uh, in the youth room. And sometimes you could tell they were just wanting to offload it and get rid of it. And um, as I've said before, sometimes the youth room becomes the dumpster of the church where people just kind of put all the stuff they're wanting to get rid of. Um, So those can create some awkward moments, but it's good to kind of be prepared for that. Um, Scott, I know we're needing to get to our technically speaking segment before we do that. I just want to remind our listeners about some other resources that are out there. Um, this is RYM's 50th anniversary. And so we are compiling 50 top 10 lists. Uh, we're calling them our 50 for the 50th on a, just a host of, of topics. So if you go to rym.org slash resources, you'll see just a, a host of lists that we're putting together that we hope. Um, serve the church as, as people are looking for lists on various uh, books. We have some some movies out there. Brett McCracken um, is writing a list for us on top 10 movies Christians should watch. Uh, so be sure to, to check that out. That's either posted now or will be forthcoming. Um, so we hope those lists are helpful to the kingdom, but also just a way in which RYM is trying to partner with the, the broader kingdom uh, to serve the, the local church. Uh, but for now, here's our technically speaking segment with Reagan Rose. All right, everybody, we're back once again uh, with Reagan Rose, uh, closing out our uh, time with him this week. Uh, again, talking about his new book, A Student's Guide to Gaming, encouraging everyone to pick that up. Um, you know, as we're talking about tools that we can utilize, um, obviously, this this book is a massive tool. It's written for students. Uh, you can put it in the hands of, you know, we'd say middle school, high school, young adult um, as well. Um, but parents, you can read this alongside uh, your student youth workers. Uh, use this in small groups. Uh, teach from this. Use this in one-to-one discipleship. It's an excellent tool. Um, you know, something we talked about a little bit last week, Reagan, uh, was um, watching out, being cautious of the content uh, of video games. You know, I feel like Oftentimes the criticism when we talk about video games, it goes right there directly. I mean, we've talked about violence a little bit and um, some questionable content, obviously, in uh, a game like Grand Theft Auto. Um, So being aware of the content. But uh, you mentioned the rating system. I'd love for you to talk just a little bit more about uh, video games rating system. That's something I'm not too familiar with. Yeah. So just like with movies, you know, they have a rating system for, for video games, the ESRB, I believe it's called. 
And it's interesting. It actually came out of um, Columbine, you know, in 1999, that, that school shooting. Huh. And then I believe the, the court case had to do with uh, the game Mortal Kombat that eventually resulted in that. If you ever played that game Mortal Kombat, oh, yeah. you know, it was just so, so like, it was like comically gory. And I think that was yeah. the thing it was supposed to be. But they're like, well, we're selling these to kids. You know, video games are for kids. So they ended up coming out with this, this rating system. It was a result of that court decision. And they have like anything from E for everyone to teen to, they, they go up similar to the, you know, G, PG um, and R ratings for video games. Mm-hmm. But I think similar to that as well is that's a pretty broad range. And I always say with, with movies too, like you got to do your own research because the reason a movie is rated a certain way or the reason a game is rated a certain way, it's not because a group of, of believers sat down and, and rated against the Bible. It's, you know, there's, there's some different things at counting the number of swear words, things like that. And so I, I think it's wise to, um, to research, look into games. What are they about? Um, ga- games with the, with the same things with movies, violent and sexual content, um, language, things like that. Those are being evaluated by these rating systems, um, but usually reviews are going to be a little more helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, like I've said before about the movie rating system. It's a it's a helpful guide for us, but as believers, we've got to to do the difficult work of of exercising discernment and, and realizing, you know, a group of people who do not share a Christian worldview decided the rating of this movie. <laughs> and so let's mm-hmm. think a little more broadly. I've said before that the rating system often caters to our inner Pharisee. Uh, we like to make things very black and white. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of gray area there. And so the same would apply with, with video games. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Reagan, I, I had someone else uh, share this question. So we're talking about uh, parenting here and thinking about the ratings, but um, uh, this youth worker said this, what would be your advice to parents of younger children when it comes to video games? And he says, delay, 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 prohibit, 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 or go for it with some limitations. What would be those limitations, kind of boundaries, parameters? We might've already gotten into some of this, but just kind of advice for young parents kind of entering this world. Yeah. I mean, that's right where I'm at right now. We have a two-year-old about to turn three. He's very interested in our phones, like give it back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, this, this is my, my, just my opinion, my personal opinion. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, We're, we're, my wife and I are on the side of, of waiting and trying to just ease in. Um, so we, we do very limited screen time with our kids, but that, again, that's just a, that's our decision. That's not a, not everyone has to do that, but I, I love, I love games and I, maybe I don't come across in these, like I love games, but I still do love games. And I want some of my fondest memories of a child as a child, were playing video games. And so I want my son to experience that too. And so our, our thought on it is to, to be very cautious and kind of have a, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but like an exclusionary approach. Like instead of saying, we're going to, you can here, here, play whatever games, we'll pick some games early on since they're so young, some of the phone games, the simple ones, and we'll play them with him um, up until he gets a little bit older and, and extra and kind of do that transition into as he becomes more discerning into his, uh, his teen years. So that's kind of from a broad basis, the way we're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's great. Chris, what what are some thoughts there, just you as a parent and then also as you're dealing with parents? Yeah, I mean, the same is true for me. I mean, my kids all want my phone. They want to play on the iPad, and we limit their screen time a lot. Um, you know, we we actually started really small with things that don't 
<clears throat> that are very fictional is kind of how we thought about it. And, and very much what Reagan's saying, like, um, we limit everything. Um, so if it's very fictional being, there's like this game on the Apple TV that, uh, is just like this starship thing. It's almost like, uh, uh, Galactica or whatever. Like it's just, you're in a ship and you're floating left and right and you're shooting these ma imaginary alien things. And the kids just love it. And it's simple enough that my oldest is eight. And so it's simple enough that she can go left and right and hit the shoot button. Um, but then it's like, we're, we're trying to put in keywords to her, like, all right, Lou, this doesn't rule our life. We're not going to, all right, we're done. Let's go outside. And we're done. Okay. And you got to pay attention, Lou. Like, you don't want to give yourself to this. And, you know, life is bigger than, than the TV screen. And uh, so with parents and making, it's sort of the same thing as when should you give your kid a, t a cell phone? <laughs> I'm never going to put a day on it. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to walk into that. Like, you have to discern. God gave your kids to you, and you have to discern mm -hmm. what is right in your own family. And no one, and like you said, John, like it's it's like it's very quick to become a Pharisee and say this is how you ought to do this. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I'm sorry to say, God doesn't speak to the idea of video games in the Bible. So, but He does talk about how to manage your time. He does talk about idolatry. He does talk about addiction. He does talk about things that lead your brother astray. So He, he talks about all these other themes. I would say follow the follow the scriptures path on how do you manage your time, and like everybody says, like uh, that th that thinks about time management, and even you, Reagan, in, in your you've heard this before, like you manage your time, your time manages you. So, how are you taking initiative and engaging as a parent and jumping into that world? Um, not just giving your hands, putting your hands up and giving yourself to it, but how are you engaging with your kids? Because whether you like it or not, it's a huge part of their culture. So mm -hmm. if you love your kids, swim in it with them to some degree. Mm -hmm. Figure it out and, and get with it. And something else, John, like you said this at a, a YLT conference a while back, um, ratings for movies are not the Holy Spirit. You've got to do your work. And mm -hmm. I think that that's really wise too. Super wise. Hey, Reagan, I got a question for you that I'm really interested about. Like, I know that video gaming addiction and like that conversation is open and out there. And there definitely are people that are addicted to video games and they're in their parents' basement eating meatloaf and playing video games all day. But like, <laughs> drinking Sunny D. Drinking Sunny D. Right. <laughs> and, <Beef> jerky. <laughs> so, but do you feel like counselors, like the general counselor, that's going to be within the network of the local church or a local church is prepared to handle video game addiction. Like, is that a safe place to, if, if a parent realizes, Oh man, my kid is like addicted to video games. What do I do? Do you feel like the general counselor has the tools in their toolbox to be able to, to minister effectively to that? I really don't. And that, that was one of the things that really surprised me when I started working on this book yeah. was, how few resources there were huh. and from from Christians. And that was the thing I kept hearing from from people that I had um, reading it or people endorsed it. They were like, this is we've been looking for something that addresses this thing because like we like we've said um, previously on here, that most if if you're if you're talking to a younger person, you haven't played video games in years, you have no idea what the games are like. Like I think I, I get this when I talk to to other parents and stuff, they're like, well, what's, what's the problem? And they're picturing Super Mario. They're thinking the kids are playing Super <laughs> and it's exactly the same. Yeah. They're not thinking about the implications of it being, of people being fully online, mm. of 
uh, how how interesting the games are, that they're designed to keep you playing longer and longer. I, I really don't think that uh, the general counselor in a church is equipped to, to deal with these things. They just don't have the familiarity with it from my experience. Is anybody moving in that direction? Like Paul Tripp or, or are, they, are they talking about this ever? Have you noticed any of that? I haven't ever paid attention to notice it. But. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, who is it that wrote the, the 12 ways your phone is changing you? Tony Ranke. Mm-hmm. Tony Ranke. Yeah. His stuff on technology is, is really good. And I think he covers it. I've seen a lot of intersection with the people talking about social media yeah. addiction, um, and I definitely think there's a lot of crossover there. So some of the people who are talking about those things in the church, I think are a good resource for it. But I really think there's nothing like just diving in with your kids or with, with your students and like trying to understand it with them. I, I'm reminded of like, you know, in Deuteronomy, it talks about like, as, as you walk in the way, as you sit down, as you lie down, you know, teaching, yeah. teaching these things, like for better, or for worse, video games are part of life, actual life for mm-hmm. these kids and so if you want to be in their lives you got to be in the games with them a little bit because that's that's a lot of what they're doing and in so doing that you have a lot of opportunities for discipleship and counseling yeah mm-hmm. hey yeah. what's a yeah, way to that's... teach your book how would you teach your how would if you were in my church we got a, a box of your books how would you advise us to lead your book or teach it or walk through with students yeah, it's got some like small group t- or questions at the end of it, which I think will be helpful. The chapters are short, so you could read read through it, have the kids read it too, and come back and discuss some of those questions at the end. And I think that will spark some of the conversations and honestly educate uh, you as you're leading it about how the kids are thinking about the games, because I think that's a very unique thing. You might have assumptions about how they're thinking about them, or even assume that they have no concerns themselves. But I've been surprised that students themselves are concerned about how much they play games or they're concerned about some of the things that they're seeing, especially with online interactions. Hmm. So that I think that'd be a good way to just go through, maybe even just pick some of the chapters you think are most relevant and talk through some of those questions with them. Hmm. And let, let me jump in here as well to say, uh, you know, the book is short enough to, to, I mean, you could read it together. I, I mean, you could sit around, pass out, you know, books and just read these chapters together because they, they're so short um, that it would not take you, I bet, you know, 10 minutes to read an entire chapter in a group. And then you're, you're able to discuss it. You're able to, to stop and a student ask a question, you know, after a certain paragraph, I mean, you can interject at different times. It's, it's really, it's designed to be used in kind of a small group or one-to-one setting. So, um, just kind of jump in there. I do, I know we're about to wrap up, but I want us to kind of hit on the social aspect just a little bit more um, of, of gaming. Uh, as I say that, Reagan, just I'd love to hear you just make some comments about kind of the social aspect of, of gaming and kind of some of the, um, I, I guess, just the changes over uh, you know time that we've seen in games. Yeah, um, I think social aspect's huge. Um, and it, it goes back to that sort of central thesis of, you know, what, the, the, the things that we enjoy about games tell us a little bit about what God has designed our heart to be attracted to. And I think some of the reason that we really like the online games is that we were, I think I put it, we're framed for fellowship. God made us to be in fellowship with other people. And so we like that and we enjoy that. Um, and online games give a great opportunity to do that in a neat way. And even, you know, playing games in, in person, like socially around the same TV or around computers linked together or, or on your phones, right? Um, the, 
I think that's a good thing. It provides opportunities to connect with people you never could before. But I definitely think that something to consider is, and this kind of loops in with some of the discussion around metaverse and all that, is that whole issue of identity and anonymity, which, you know, there's there's good aspects in terms of keeping yourself safe. But I do think that that, you know, one of the problems with relationships in real life because of the fall is we're sinful and we hurt each other. And there's a temptation to put on a mask and video games readily allow you to put on a mask, hold people at sort of digital arms length. And there, there's that temptation to have these sort of relationships online that you can always, if it gets too real or if it gets too, you know, hurtful, mm-hmm. you can break it off and walk away in a way that you can't do and ought not to do in the church or in your family. And I've, I know these are extreme examples, but I've known people that they basically, their entire social life became video games and they cut off other relationships. Mm. And I think that that's a big part of it is you want to hide a little, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I, I know we're, we're wrapping this up, but you mentioned the metaverse and I had a youth worker ask specifically, you know, is the metaverse the, the future of, of gaming? Um, I'd love for you just to speak on that a little bit, but also as you're maybe even thinking, uh, I want to point people to your podcast um, because you had, Let's see, season three, episode six, you had an episode entitled The Metaverse and the Future of Christianity. I think that's a such an important podcast for people to listen to. Um, you had two guests on there talking about it, very insightful for how it's going to impact the church, but maybe just a word or two on kind of how this is overlapping with with gaming. Yeah, I think there's a there's a big basically a convergence happening with the metaverse stuff like you have the gaming side, which is probably the most developed aspect of that. And that's sort of beginning to merge with the work side of our lives becoming more and more digital. And that essentially, I mean, that's one way to think about what the metaverse is, is it's fully digital. Um, and, and I think gaming gives you the biggest insight into what that sort of life is going to be like. Um, I, I would just say this, a lot of the discussion about metaverse stuff, especially in Christian circles, are kind of talking about well, why is it bad? Why, why is this something we should avoid? My opinion here, but I think it's inevitable. I think we're already going that. I mean, we're on Zoom right now. A lot of us are, are, are working remotely for most of our lives. A lot of people spend their days on games. It's inevitable yeah. that the world's going to become more and more digital and interconnected. Mm-hmm. And that's what the metaverse sort of presents us with. Um, so the question should be, how, how are you going to think about that? How are you going to approach that? How are you going to shepherd your students through that shift that is happening, whether you you like it or not, or whether you know you're going to pull out of society and start a, an Amish village or something, you know that's that's option B, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, that that kind of sounds a little tempting sometimes. Uh, for, yeah, same sure. here. <laughs> uh, um, but but again, I do want to point people to that episode of your. Um, podcast very insightful helpful if somebody's out there listening thinking i don't even know what the metaverse is that would be a good introductory um you know 40 minute podcast to to listen to chris some comments questions um as we're wrapping this up anything else again i've got a list of things we didn't even get to but um man i'm just tickled to be here and hear you reagan and uh to know that people are working on um thinking deeply about these things on behalf of families and youth ministers and parents, like, cause this is a big deal. Um, a huge, huge deal. And I really appreciate your work a ton. I mean, I don't, everything that you're at, I and mean, there's a million questions. We could stay on here for hours and talk about these things, but I really appreciate you being here, dude. 
I appreciate spending the time and talking about these things with you both. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and really, I, I just want to say this too because um, I know he's he's not going to say this as easily, but but really, as Reagan and I, we you know met when you came on the podcast, and then we uh, started talking about, and maybe it was from an episode um, that you did about gaming, um, and realizing okay, you, you've done some reading, some um, thinking on this uh, that that there really isn't a whole lot out there. Um, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, but to say that there's, this might be, well, you know, one of the only books Christians can pick up. And so just thanking you for your work, for putting this together. Um, and hopefully too, as we've talked about this, this book, a student's guide to gaming, there's a whole lot you have to leave out. <laughs> there's a whole lot that you cannot talk about because these are short books. And so maybe even uh, some of the other content you have that could become a, a forthcoming book that you put together uh, for the church. No, no pressure there. Um, but just want to thank you. <laughs> thank you for your work um, in that. And obviously there's so much more we, we want to talk about and have you back on discussing this, but thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It's been an honor. That was Reagan Rose. Uh, we've enjoyed getting to have him on the podcast these last few weeks and just want to continue to encourage everyone to pick up his book. Um, and as I say this, uh, we're, we're in the process of kind of ironing out some details of transitioning between uh, segments. So I might have already said that in the previous segment. Um, sometimes I don't know as I record these, but um, it, it's a great book. Uh, students got to gaming. And so we definitely want people uh, to pick that up, pick that up. Um, here is uh, Reverend Joe Novenson. Those who listened last week know that he was with us last week, but we split up his interview into two parts. And so last week he spoke more about his teenage years and his upbringing. And uh, today he's going to be talking more um, specifically about his sense of a call to ministry, as well as friendship and, and also seeking rest in the midst of ministry. And I know it'll be helpful to many. So here's Joe. All right, we are back talking to Reverend Joe Novenson. Um, Joe, earlier you talked about kind of a reluctance to, to leadership. And, and I'm wondering, kind of when did you first sense a call to the ministry? And was it kind of around that same time? I'd, I'd love for you to talk to us about that a little bit. Um, that was my senior year was the reluctance to leadership as I was entrusted with it, really, that I can remember for the first time. But in my uh, first year of college, the edges of the call started to intrude. Um, I went to a college that uh, had uh, very, very little um, marks of faith around it. And my first lecture at the college, I'm, a, I'm a now a two-year-old Christian. My junior year of high school, senior of high school, now I'm at college. The first lecture I got from my resident supervisor was, um, gentlemen, everything you've heard about college women is true. And I went, I, I got to get fellowship. I got to, I'm dead if I don't get fellowship. So if it had a cross on it, I joined it. I joined the Catholic Newman Club, the Baptist Student Union, the Episcopal Auburn Club. I joined everything and was trying to just get spiritually helped. We would heavily get to a Bible study when I'd say something like, so, like, Jesus is the only way, right? And everyone would look at me like, no, well, not exactly. The, I, the really, the thing that you need to see, and I'd be looking like, but isn't that what it says? Mm -hmm. um, 
And I kept on feeling like I, again, I didn't fit. And out of uh, God's kindness, my best friend in high school was at University of Pennsylvania. He had been in Campus Crusade. He told his crusade director that I was at a small liberal arts college named Ryder in Trenton, New Jersey, and really needed fellowship. So his crusade director contacted Rutgers, which was north of Ryder, and a guy named Don Harper drove down and made an appointment with me and said, would, would you like me to disciple you? And I went, I don't know what that means, but can you <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> and he went, yeah, I can. I still have my 10 basic steps hmm. to Christian maturity that he taught me. And he would teach me on Tuesday. And I started doing evangelism. I didn't even, I wasn't even using the four spiritual laws. This was my evangelistic method. I would talk with people and say, hey, listen, Jesus is where it's at. There you go. That's it. <laughs> and uh, the and God's mercy, He can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick, and people became Christians. I'm talking with some of them to this day. Wow. And I'd learn something on Tuesday from Don Harper, and I'd teach it to them on Thursday. And they thought I knew what I was doing, and I had no idea <laughs> was doing. And that was the beginning of um, I you know, of, of becoming a conduit for truth, I barely understood. And we weren't allowed to start a, a uh, an organization by bringing in an outside Christian organization onto campus. That was against campus rules all the way back then in the 1970s. Wow. We had co-ed dorms and um, it, was a, it was a wild time. Streaking was real big at that time. Wow. Uh, I can remember whole streaking fests covering the campus. And um, so we weren't allowed to have anything Christian brought outside in. But we could start something if it was all student-based and we could get a faculty sponsor. So, you know, I didn't know any better. I said, well, let's, let's start the Agape Fellowship. And so we did. Again, this is all part of the time of the Jesus movement. And I really believe it was a minor revival and the Holy Spirit was working with extraordinary unction and it started to grow. And then I, I knew there was more into the Bible than what I was learning from crusade. I knew there were elements of just really big issues that would literally change the world, but I couldn't, I couldn't access them. I couldn't figure out how do I get at this. I just, there's more here than I, I think I'm understanding. And I just had a hunger to know what it was. And I heard about, I heard about this guy who was in Newark, New Jersey during the riots. The racial riots took place during my time in college. And he was a Christian and he had bought a luncheonette in downtown Newark in the middle of the riots and was giving food to the policemen and the rioters and talking to them about Jesus. And That's I said, I want to meet that guy. <laughs> okay. He's seeing more about social change and the world changing from the gospel. I want to know 
one of, his name was Bill Iverson, and he's one of the founders of the PCA. Not to mention the son of the guy who wrote Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me, and father of PCA missionaries. And But he, he was ministering in the, in the inner city in Newark. And I went up and spent a month with him in Newark, New Jersey. And he gave me a corneal transplant. <laughs> so like, he basically, I was sitting one day in his library reading The Cost of Discipleship by Bonhoeffer. And he reached over my head, pulled it out of my hands, and dropped Burkhoff's systematic theology in my hands. And I went, what is this? <laughs> and he said, that's what you need to be reading. I went, this will take me the rest of my life. And he said, three pages a day, just go slow. That's what you need to read. And that was my introduction to Reformed Theology, was Bill Iverson. And I'm wow. really glad he was my introduction. Because one, he had a, and still has, an unquenchable evangelistic vision. I mean, you can't be with, we'd go out to eat and, eat, and we'd be sitting there and he'd go to the waitress. This is my friend, Joe. He's going to tell you about Jesus. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, I'll tell you. They do it all the time. And to teach me what I didn't know about being um, culturally blind, he put me in his VW, drove me to inner city Newark with my guitar, opened the door, reached across, opened the door, said, okay, get out. Once you go up into that high rise housing project, go up about eight floors, get out your guitar, start singing. And when people gather, tell them about Jesus. I'll see, I'll be back to pick you up in a couple hours. And he drove off. I was the only white guy for, I don't know how many square miles. And so I went, all right, I guess I'll go do what he said. <laughs> he, he put me in really scary places where I had to believe and trust. And he started to show me I didn't even know how to do that. I, I didn't know how to really trust Christ. I had to finesse and manage everything. And so Bill was my introduction to Reformed theology. And Don Harper training me as I taught others. And the people in the Agape Fellowship started saying to me, you really need to be considering being a pastor. <laughs> and I thought I was going to go into radio and TV like my dad. I just thought, you're crazy. <laughs> I, am, I am not a pastor. And right. uh, they said, no, we, we think you ought to consider it. So that's how it started. Wow. That's amazing to hear that. And it's just uh, evidence of just the importance of, of mentors in our lives and, and looking cool. for those older people who have gone before us uh, to pour into. Um, and, and I know also um, the importance of friends. And I'd love to ask you about friendships for a minute, because I know the last time we had you on, we both discussed and others have said this, that pastors are some of the most lonely people on the planet. Oh. And so I'd love for you just to give us a word on how you've sought to, to change that in your own life, um, to mm -hmm. have friends in your own life. Um, and then also to kind of challenge those who may be listening or kind of have that lone ranger mentality and are just kind of isolated. I'd love for you just to speak to that a bit. I know that's a big question. Well, I, um, my wife and I were talking about it last night that um, we've been very intentional about it. In fact, um, 
We were just talking with other members of the staff here who were finding friends something they wanted and needed. And Barb and I at one point prayed. We both said we really need more than just unilateral relationships where we're giving. We really need to be receiving. We need to be in bilateral friendship. And um, we both said we'd pray and come back together and see if we came up with the idea of a couple that um, we would ask. And we, I came back and it was one of those times where you get a providential kiss on the cheek. We both picked the same couple. Hmm. And um, we asked them to uh, meet us for dinner. And we said, we've come to place a request before you. We would like to ask you to be our friends. Um, he's an elder and um, his wife is a leader. And we just said, we, we realize that we're asking um, unusual and we, and we can't be the Holy Spirit. It may not be something that he wants, but we think it would be. Could we try? And they said yes. And boy, did has God blessed that. My point with that would be, I've been very intentional. They're not the only ones, but they're the most recent addition to the fabric of friendship we've tried to have. I realized that... Um, that I really needed to start seeing church as a, as a place that is a means of grace where I actually have friends and not a place where I work. Because I, um, the more that I read my forefathers and foremothers, they talk about church as a means of grace. And I just said, it's not for me. I, I don't go to church expecting that this will be a way through which the spirit of the living God will mediate grace to me. I go to go to work and that's just a whole wrong posture. I got to, I got to repent of that. I have to find spiritual friends there. And that's, I don't know if we talked about the fellowship of the ring the last time or not. Um, don't know if we did. I don't believe so, but I'm always up for talking about that. <laughs> well, you know, obviously the phrase comes from Tolkien, but I, I started to think I need to see church more the way that Tolkien portrayed the Fellowship of the Ring. I can't complete my earthly responsibility if I don't have this band of people around me. I can't. And. I have to stop thinking about like I can. It's just, you never intended that. And so I have to have friends and they have to be robust. robust. And um, so I went to five guys and I asked them to do four things. I said, I'm asking you, I realize this, you know, you may not want to be my friend, but I think you can do these four things. And if we become friends, that'll be really good. But I want to ask four things of you. They're very obtainable. One, would you contact me once a week? Not, not less than once a week. So you ask five guys to contact you once a week. You're going to get contacted a lot. So I said, would you contact me once a week? And here's your goal. Just make Jesus clearer larger, more vivid, 
any way you can. You can quote scripture. You can give me quotes from church history. You can sing. You can, um, you, and you can do this by text, email, snail mail. Best of all, show up. You can call, but once a week without my giving you a time, simply contact and make Jesus large to me. Second, I want to be prayed for every day. If you don't pray every day for certain things, that's a whole other problem and we need to talk. But if you do, I, want, I don't want to be prayed for peripherally. I'm asking you to pray for me every day. Third, if my number does come up on your ID, I'm not calling to chat. I'm using Tolkien phrases. I'm blowing the horn of Gondor. And if you're a Tolkien geek, you know that the Horn of Gondor never fails to be heard and help never fails to come. So if my number comes up, I'm saying, I need you. I need you. And fourth, I may need to meet you at Rivendale, the place of healing in the Elven Kingdom. And that I may need just to ask for time with you alone to heal. Will you commit to those four things? And these five guys said yes. Now I want to tell you, it made friendship and church go 3D HD to me. It made sovereignty and providence and the line between providence and miracle blur because I would be starting to tank emotionally, sitting in my office, depression overwhelming, fear paralyzing me, and my cell phone will go off. And it's one of the fellowship of the ring. Wow. And the timing, I repeatedly will look up and go, thank you. The timing of this is incredible. This actually happened. A missionary returned from the field. We were talking, he was in the car and he was really depressed. I was concerned about whether or not he'd hurt himself, whether I was overstating or not. I, I was that concerned. And I started telling him about my fellowship of the ring. And he's looking at me with his eyes glassed over. And right as I'm telling him, my phone goes off. And I went, thank you, Lord. Talked with the brother. I said, listen, I don't want to talk to you. I want you to talk to my friend. He needs to know about what we're doing. And I handed the phone. I met that missionary 10 years later, and he said, still got my fellowship of the ring, and it's been a great blessing to be prayed for every day. And then one of the guys uh, who's in my fellowship of the ring, he's a butcher. That's a and, good one to have in the ring, by the way. <laughs> it, it actually really is. But when I, I, I love working in his butcher shop. He sold it and it just broke my heart, but I loved it so much. I actually have a painting of that butcher shop on my bedroom wall. That's fact. My <laughs> That's son great. did the, the work of art because I, I just learned so much. I'd go there and after my hand accident, these aren't the hands you want to put a knife in. I could, I could hurt <laughs> myself and others. So all I do is I bleach all the surfaces in his butcher shop after he's cut to, to disinfect everything. And he ministers to street people. And 
When he opens his shop, the street people collect outside and they come in. He makes a big egg casserole with ground up beef because many of them don't have teeth. And he feeds them, gives them the gospel, teaches them the Bible, and they all just love him and he loved them. And this one, this one girl came in who'd been thrown into a well by her father. Just a horrible story. And um, she just she just was a hurting lady. You could smell her before she was within 10 or 20 feet of you. And she'd come in, was talking with my friend Robbie. And Robbie looked at me and I was wiping down his surfaces. And he said, Elaine, that wasn't her name, but he said, Elaine. Joe needs a hug. Would you, would you go give him a hug? And I'm going, oh, oh, man. <laughs> and she looks at me and goes, oh, do you need a hug? And I went, oh, I guess I do. And she came over and grabbed me and started shaking back and forth and, and looked up at me and said, you feel better now? And I went, <laughs> yeah, actually, I do. Hmm. And she went out of the store. And my friend Robbie said, don't you ever forget, you're here for her. That's why you got saved. And I went, you're right. But that's the kind of healing I'm talking about. Finding people who will treat relationship with you like the fellowship of the ring to get you to finish that to which you've been called. Man, that has made all the difference in the world. Some of them have died, and I've replaced them. One of them, who passed away just last year, was the first recording artist on Word Records. He's the only American to ever sing at a Queen's coronation. His name was Frank Boggs. And I was really deeply depressed one time. And I got on the computer and I wrote all my Fellowship of the Ring. And I said, I'm blowing the horn of Gondor, guys. I'm going down. I really need help. Well, Frank had just had a car accident, couldn't drive. and had his wife get him here to church. I stood up to preach that Sunday morning and I looked and he's three rows back looking at me crying. And I said, okay, I can't look down there for the rest of the service. Mm. But when the service was over at the back of the church, he greeted me, grabbed my face, kissed me on the lips and looked at me and went, Jesus is enough and walked away. I preached at his funeral. And when I get to heaven, I will be thanking him for the first 5 billion years because of what he gave me that day. Friends, spiritual friends mean the world to me. And um, fight for a fellowship of the ring. That is such good counsel. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, Joe, I had one more question for you. I know we're, we're getting close to time and so we need to draw this to a close. Um, 
we both know that ministry is demanding. Um, and there are times where it calls you to sacrifice and it's, you know, it's not nine to five. Um, there are times where we might not get a day off, but at the same time, uh, we know rest is, is vital. And um, I think the last time you came on, we, we spoke about the Sabbath a bit. And so I'd love for you to talk about a day off. Um, what is kind of your ideal day off and how have you sought to guard this? Any counsel you can give us before we close out? I just wish Barb was sitting here because she'd be staring at me real hard right now. <laughs> and um, I think other than prayer, This is probably one of my greatest trespasses of my king. Lack of prayer and lack of rest. And um, so I have to start there. Um, I'm sure you know that it, the day of rest is the first thing God calls holy in the whole Bible. He would have thought he would have talked to himself that way. But for him to, to do that is unreal. So I am not good at this. And um, I have ideals. And I, I believe them. But I would say this is probably one of the idols of busyness for self-justification that I need most to fight. Um, and when we talked last time, I think I quoted A.J. Swoboda, who's, who said, if you break any one of the Ten Commandments, any one of nine, you'll get fired. But there's one if you break you'll get a raise and that's the Sabbath. And his pointing that out probably was among the most unmasking to me of uh, pointing at the depth of my idolatry of um, busyness. And okay, having said that, the amount of work it takes me to rest is almost more work than it takes me to work. Hmm. I don't think that's wrong to say. What I mean is I, I, I'm, I don't think that that's altogether exceptional. I think to actually biblically rest, you got to really go for it. If you just say, well, today I stop, you're a fool. If your first command was be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over that which God created. If that's the first thing we're told, then we ought to suspect that when sin twists and turns everything, one of the first thing we're going to get wrong is the dominion command. And it'll be really deep because it was the first thing that rung in the ears of humanity. So it takes work to stop. It takes me time to go through work withdrawal until I'm really decompressed. And then it takes me time 
to recompress to go back to work. If I break, like for vacation, I have learned I have to go about through a couple days of struggling with false guilt for not working before I can get to resting. And then it takes a couple days to begin to arrange the emails and the voice messages so that it, I don't hit a wall when I go back. So I start to organize my return. So all vacations have an arc of descending to rest, 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 ascending back to work. Um, I can't generally do that on a day off because it, uh, it takes too much to get through the pathology with right theology. Um, it often takes real disengagement with of leaving, um, going somewhere. This is just, uh, this has been one of the great helps to me. Um, my love for my children and grandchildren is strong enough to trump my pathology. So if my son who lives near Andrew, like <laughs> one time Vincent van Gogh was uh, on display up in Chicago. And we'd never seen, a, you know, any of Van Gogh's work personally. And my son's an artist. And he called, he said, hey, dad, Van Gogh's in Chicago, road trip. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm in, let's go. And we drove, you know, 12 hours on the night before my, the day before my day off. So my whole day off walking through the Chicago Institute of Art and then drove back dead tired and went back to work next day it was great <laughs> but that disengagement i love for him trumps my pathology my love for my grandkids last day off we babysat for my two grandkids who live near here and i really disengaged um and i played room cars on the floor with my grandson my two-year-old grandson and i really did forget <laughs> work because Simon beats my pathology, my love for my grandson. So again, the idea of demoting an idol so that you can promote what God commands. I have to do both. And that takes work. Mm -hmm. So you're asking probably the least wise person in this area. All the folks on the staff here who know me would be laughing right now going, you're asking Joe. Yeah, I got, we're going to hear this. <laughs> It'll be going, yeah, we want to hear what he says of this. Um, so I think I'm trying to be honest. <laughs> well, that's much appreciated. And I guarantee you're not the only one um, who struggles with that. Those who are listening and the one who's sitting here uh, interviewing you as well. We all struggle with that. Joe, look, there's so many more questions I have. I, I love talking to you, but we're going to just have to have you back on maybe down the road. Um, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. It's a real privilege. Thanks for having me. Come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay.